0: Hello everyone. We'd like to officially start this evening now with our The Road Well Taken series featuring Provost Linda Doyle. We're really excited about this event. It's actually a collab with the Students' Union tonight as it's part of Empowerment Month. So we kind of worked with the Students' Union to set this up. Um, And then just to introduce us, we're all members of the S2S Society committee here. I am the secretary, Stephen is the president, and Neve is our treasurer. Um, I'm also, uh, I work with the Students' Union just as disability officer, actually. So I was trying to pull my strings in all directions for tonight to happen. So we're super excited for the first installment of the year to happen tonight. So I will pass over to our president, Stephen, who will set us up for the evening.
1: Uh, I'd just like to, uh, oh my god, i just like to start by thanking Provost Lynn Doyle for attending tonight. It's fantastic to have you here and for our first uh, installment of The Road well Taken this uh, semester, this year, uh, it's fantastic to have such an honoured guest uh, with us. Um, last year, this was a new event for us. We decided to interview uh, Trinity alumni and see how they got to where they were, what career choices they made and how Trinity helped them to get to where uh, they are. So we interviewed two guests, one per semester and we're back at it again this semester, thank God. So uh, with the name of the the seminar in mind, uh, the road well taken, we'd like to hear from you, Dr. Provost Linda Doyle, um, about your time at Trinity your career choices and how you got to the prestigious role you are in today. So, if you have anything in particular you'd like to mention,
2: okay. That's that's Stephen. That's a very open-ended question. You'll be regretting you asked uh, asked me that something so open-ended. Maybe I should say a little bit about what I studied here in Trinity and start from there. So, um, I, I am an engineer originally. I did engineering actually in UCC, and and maybe it's worth saying that. Um, when I graduated, I really did want to go on and do more research, but I actually didn't feel that I didn't feel it was for me in the sense I thought he had to be exactly top of the class to go on and do that. And, you know, and I wasn't. So I went into industry for a year and uh, the minute I worked in industry five, like I remember I worked in Germany and the very first day I was there, I knew it was the wrong choice. But I actually had to stay working there because you'd I'd, I'd owe the money if I left. So yeah, so whatever we sign a contract, you had to. So um, I I then decided I wanted to go back to academia. It was always something that I just really really love. So I I looked around and I found an opportunity in Trinity. So I I did actually both the masters and PhD, a master's research, master's and then a PhD in Trinity. Um, in engineering and engineering topics, in antenna design, and radio wave propagation, I'm sure you'll have no questions about either of those topics. So, so that's that's uh that's how I I, I started here. I mean, I can keep talking, but you can ask me. <laughs> yeah, no, we can
0: interject along yeah. the way, um, and similarly, any kind of paths you want to go down and discuss, go ahead. um Yeah, I think it's interesting hearing your start at Trinity because it's. It's always interesting when it's gone kind of full circle. But I guess kind of then after changing your kind of direction of studies, I guess, where where did you go from there? You know, did you so, go? You
2: see, so I actually have spent a lot of time. I, I spent all my academic career in Trinity. Um, but, you know, Stephen had asked at the beginning or mentioned at the beginning, what was it about Trinity that kind of made you get to where you are now? And I suppose one of the things for me was the great freedom in the kind of intellectual freedom you had to go in many different directions. Um, So I kind of knew after a while that while I loved engineering, it wasn't enough. And I wanted to be able to engage in something more than engineering. So initially it was about maybe more policy and economics of some of the stuff I was, but but it ultimately ended up to be around creative arts practices. And Trinity actually gave me the freedom to kind of define what I meant by engineering and to define. So when I went on to have PhD students myself, half of them came from engineering and computer science backgrounds, and the other half came from uh, creative arts practices and design and things like that. So there was great freedom in this university to be able to put your own stamp on something, your own stamp in an area. And that that very, very much propelled um, kind of my career forward, I have to say, you know, so that was a really key thing. The other really key thing was, I, I think in terms of that, that road well taken that you're talking about was I did get the opportunity kind of early on to, um, to, 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 to lead initiatives. And um, I think that gives you great practice for how you kind of work with people and how you collaborate and how you communicate. So that, that was very, very lucky too. But it didn't happen without bumpy, a bumpy start as well. So when I moved from uh, being a PhD into a full academic job, I actually initially, um, I have told the story before, but I was initially kind of working uh, as a lecturer in a kind of contract. um, And then a full-time job came up and I applied for it. And one of my friends in the department said to me, oh, you'll easily get a chair working in the job already. Of course, I didn't get it. So I I yeah, I remember being utterly embarrassed and I, I actually nearly literally cried for a whole weekend, I have to say. I, it was so, you know, this whole kind of, I really, really wanted this academic job. It really meant everything. I had kind of built it into the be all and end all of, of everything <clears throat> and it, it didn't work out. But luckily, very soon afterwards, another job came up and I, and, and I got that. So, so that was um, back then. Um, and I'm much, much older than all of you, of course, back then, it, you know, it was, it was, it was challenging, but still more straightforward to move from the PhD into the, the lecturing position. Uh, today, uh, a lot of people do kind of longer postdoc periods, but then it was easier for, for me to go from one to the other, uh, more straightforwardly. Uh, so after that initial bump, I uh, got on my way here anyway. So it was, it was great.
1: That's fantastic. That is it's a nice day to see that the opportunity was there. It's unfortunate, I can see that it was, I'd say it would be quite disappointing to have not uh, gotten that, but you kept on trying and that's
0: yeah. something that we can
1: see as an inspiration. Um,
3: yeah.
1: I have a question about something that you said just earlier as I was thinking to myself, you mentioned that you moved to Germany and you could see that it was already wrong for you, but mm-hmm. you had to stay. And I think that's going, that is a problem, whether it's a translational problem that everyone can experience. I doubt it's going to be an exact issue that everyone will experience, but it seems like something universal. So, I, can I ask what was going through your mind? And how did you keep motivated to stick with what you ha- with what you had to do, even though you weren't excited for it?
2: Yeah, um, I suppose it was my first job, so there was always something interesting. Uh, my first job, you know, after college, obviously, I'd worked in part time jobs, you know, in the summers and things like that. But this was my first real job, and. Um, I, you know and it was in a different country and it was it's always interesting you know to to be in a different country and to having new experiences and the job itself was in a company called Siemens you know everyone knows Siemens like practically every Irish person who worked in Munich worked in Siemens as, a, as an engineer or of some sorts so um even though I knew it was the wrong thing for me to be doing there were still lots of interesting things about being in that job about being in Munich you guys won't um Won't relate to this, but it was, you know, this was long before Ryanair existed. And when you lived in Munich as well, you were able to go to different countries at the weekend really easily. You could just get down to, you know, Switzerland or Austria or Italy. And so there was the whole experience of being there and being able to kind of explore different areas. And then there was like interesting things in the job in itself, but you are like I did find the motivation did wane over over time, and partly because um, at the time uh, you know Siemens Siemens is a huge company and it kind of uh, plans employment long before uh, it thinks it needs it, and sometimes it can be very busy and sometimes not so busy. And when I was there as well, I wouldn't have described it as hugely busy, Um, and I don't know whether this has ever happened to you, but I think. if you're not, if you're not challenged, right, and you're not constantly pushed, you can kind of, you, you you kind of become more stupid. Like I I felt myself getting not able to, like I was able to do stuff and then I felt myself able to doing less and less because I I, I didn't find it uh, ultimately that it pushed me enough. Some people I know had fantastic careers there and really pushed in it and, and really enjoyed it. Um, but for me, it didn't. It, 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 There was this complete yearning and I have a very bad memory, I have to say, but I do absolutely remember the first day there and I can see myself in the office staring like across the office and just like just feeling this is not for me. I just so want to be in an academic setting. Um, But and sometimes when you when you think that at the first day at work as well, you think maybe I've got this wrong. Maybe I'm only imagining it. Maybe I'm, uh, you know, afraid of something new or a change. So you kind of say, okay, look, I'll just keep going. So so all of that kind of crosses your mind
1: it was extremely overwhelming
2: (laughs) yeah it was no it was uh, yeah well it was it was was also i mean uh i was interested in my it it was a telecommunications job i have and i love that area and it allowed me to learn new things about telecoms as well so that was that that itself was interesting too that's um Oh yeah, just Nia if you're going to jump in there. <laughs>
3: Sorry, no, I, I just wanted to say I can completely relate to that sensation of starting something not being sure going into it and then discovering that's not what you wanted yeah. <laughs> because I came into BEST not really knowing which area I wanted to pursue. And then I after I the first day of economics I knew that wasn't for me. Um, but I've actually found that to be one of the most helpful tools in my college experience. Sometimes even though I feel like I have no idea where I want to be in five years, I know what I don't want. And I think I had to experience a lot of things to go through that. So I was just wondering if you found that to be kind of a reoccurring
2: tool throughout your career, that's maybe a really, your PhD as well. That's a really interesting question, nea and you're so articulate in, in how you express that. Um, so yes, I would say that. So. I, I would say in lots of ways um, that I am not a very typical academic in that I'm always interested in a broader range of things than a deep, deep, narrow, in-depth thing. So throughout, like, while I, while, you know, when you do a master's or do a PhD, it is, it is about, it is about do, knowing an awful lot about very little, as they say, a very, you know, you know, in-depth an awful lot about a very kind of defined subject. So, it was fine when I did those, but after when I when I started to work here as a lecturer um, I, I did, I did kind of have that feeling as well that I need something more and something different um, and exactly what you're talking about. It's sometimes about knowing what you don't want is the way that you kind of work your way through it. So it took me a while to um, figure out, you know, what was missing from from the kind of from research and from teaching for me and um that happened in many different ways there was at one stage uh, a, a number of years ago so mit in 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 the in the us have a thing called the media lab the mit media lab it was extremely famous in the 80s it was founded in the 80s before um, many people you know hear new things about digital media or anything like that and um i think we've lost me if she might have fallen or sorry not me if we've lost uh, chloe i think she might have fallen off the the but anyway um it, I, it, it actually came to Ireland for a number of years and um, I, I just went down there and hung out there I didn't have an official role there but I used to work in a research group or uh, work with the research group down there and it was just really interesting seeing that different way of doing things and it was through that kind of process I kind of figured out okay I want to work in a more multidisciplinary way there were some things down there I thought oh that's interesting some things that I knew weren't for me and I kind of was able to kind of feel my way towards saying okay engineering doesn't just have to be pure telecom it can be it can be much more than that it can have many many more aspects in it and it was through the process or that tool that you spoke about Niamh that I kind of came to that
3: very cool Um, that's so interesting and I know in terms of um research and telecoms you pursued that in the future and you went on to find to found a research centre, correct? Yeah. Could you
2: speak a bit on that? I, I will speak a bit about that. Yeah. So, so Ireland is a very small country, and because it's a small country, I think there's a point where people in some research areas you need a kind of critical mass to kind of make progress. So some research areas, you can go into a room on your own, you can lock the door, and you can do wonderful things. In other areas, you need kind of groups of people to come together. And the areas I work in, they're suited to kind of large groups of people coming together. Um, And at a particular stage, I think, strategically, the government realized and and the funding agencies that they had to kind of create critical mass through having what you might call virtual centers. So they wouldn't be in any one university. They might be spread over multiple universities. uh, and you know, there'd be the, the headquarters would be in Trinity, and there'd be many other universities or institutions involved. So I, I very luckily, um, so I was I, I was director of a center called Connect, which was about future networks and communications. And that was spread over 10 different institutions, and it was headquartered here in, in Trinity. And that was just so exciting. Um, so basically, in that, you know, you have um you work with a team of people um you know, close to you, but then you also work with with researchers and academics from right across. And there's a there's a mixture of you really have to kind of motivate you. You know you're not their boss, you're director of the center. You you have to kind of work on creating a vision that everyone buys into and work on motivating people to get behind you with that vision and and work on um, everything from the research to engagement with industry, to raising research funding, to education and public engagement, to kind of policy making. So it was really, just really, really exciting. And I've always loved that opportunity. I love the kind of big picture and joining the dots and getting different people to work together. So it was an amazing, amazing challenge to do that and one of the things I often say to people I think there are more opportunities to lead things than people who want to lead them so you know I always recommend just put your hand up and say you'll give it a go is a really really good thing I think to do to kind of to engage in that way I had had a little practice so before connect there was a center called ctvr that ctvr has had a terrible name the center for telecommunications value chain research (laughs) mostly means nothing to anyone but I had been leading that beforehand and you know um Uh, one of the good things when when that center existed I I I was younger then and it was a kind of center that gave younger people a chance to lead things as well which I thought was really really good and I I think it's kind of a good thing to you know you don't have to be really old to lead something you can you can you can be younger in your career and 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 get opportunities as well which I think is really really important but leading those both centers for me were really really kind of um really important milestones because they helped me kind of realize um that I love doing that kind of thing and uh, in one sense I probably had more to give that way than kind of on an individual kind of you know um uh, as an uh, than as an individual researcher you know so
0: yeah, it's very interesting and you know especially kind of when you're speaking about kind of individual motivation to let yourself lead these things and kind of put yourself in that position. I think it's something that, especially fourth years at this stage resonate with um, applying for programs and looking for options after their undergrad, looking forward. And, you know, a lot of positions do want to kind of sell yourself as a leader. So I think it, it does say a lot about a person When you put yourself up to positions like that, even if you're not someone who wants to long term be leading a team or leading projects per se, it it does say a lot about you and your kind of motivations. So it's quite interesting. And I guess, you know, it's interesting to hear kind of what your motivations were along the way, especially, you know, having say positions that you wanted and maybe not getting them, just kind of what motivated you along the way and kept you going and pushing you to,
2: you know, become that leader. Um, I suppose a couple of things. So, I mean, obviously you wouldn't be in academia also if you weren't interested in teaching. And I've always, you know... one of my brothers is 10 years younger than me and the other is about six years and and even when I was really young I always wanted to try teach them things like so my uh I I had I read this book when I was very very young called Teach Your Baby How to Read and apparently the clue was that you you wrote words in big red letters and you kind of stuck them on the wall and I decided to experiment with my my he must have been really young I think he was less than two and um anyway I managed to teach him to read only one word the word ear And my my mum, I remember she saying she was in a shop and there was a word, she saw the word baby wear and EAR was at the end of it. And he went ear and she thought, I have a genius child, not realizing I'd been trying to teach him. But I always, always had that kind of interest and kind of teaching. And so you know, when I started as a lecturer in Trinity first, you know, like my first lecture ever had like 150 people in it. So you go from nothing to 150 people because it was engineering first years uh, at the time. Um, So there's a huge motivation in terms of kind of, you know, teaching and explaining and passing on knowledge and huge motivation and energy you get from working with students with all of you. I mean, even having the pleasure of being here tonight now and, you know, seeing you guys on the screen and you being enthusiastic that that's a huge motivation. So that has always been um, a part of the motivation. The other motivation is um, just the fact, I mean, In one sense, when I describe, I I, I mean, I'm sure some people like there's all sorts of interesting jobs out there, but the the intellectual freedom you have in an academic job is like nothing else. And I'm just really motivated by ideas. And I love when people come together and especially from different disciplines and they, you know, they come at things from different ways, different vocabulary. And it's just so it just kind of really just sparks something. So there was always a constant motivation that, you know, you'd, you'd be at a talk or you'd be looking at some of these research or you'd be working with somebody and you just be so refreshed by the idea um and especially as well because I was lucky enough to work with we'll say engineering and uh, as well as creative arts practice we might also go to an art thing or exhibition or they might produce some work and you just think wow this is amazing I never thought of something that way so so that teaching piece and that kind of ideas piece were the things that kind of really really I think uh really motivate you and then for me from a a leadership point of view it's making connections I I love the way you can kind of spot like one of the one of the great things is like if somebody has a random set of ideas I love making links and spotting the connections with it and that opportunity to do that has always been something and the other thing I think uh you know, I'm, I, there's a lot of things that I'm bad at and there's a lot of things I make a mess at. But one thing I think I'm good at, I do not need to be the most intelligent person in the room. And this is a very good quality for leadership because what that does is you say, okay, this is a complicated challenge we face and I face them every day here, but I'm going to use the wisdom of people around me. And there'll be somebody over there who knows more about this thing and somebody over there who more, knows about more about that thing and let's bring them together. So, so those, those kind of motivations were always the motivations, even when, for example, you might be leading something and you might be scared or you might be worried it's it's a lot of pressure to deliver or you might have made a mistake with something you know I would be very motivated by the fact you have you know you get to work with such great people and a great team and we together can kind of solve the problem
1: that is it sounds like you were purpose-built for academia (laughs) Um, everything that you just said there just sounds like you fit you would fit in so well to the world of academia
2: I know in one sense yeah yeah I mean I remember I I said I remember years ago and friends of mine from Cork and we moved to Dublin at the same time and they asked me about my job and I said something like it's not a job it's a life you know completely like full of myself or whatever and um you know uh it's like so I do think academia is like that you know um I, I think I think things have changed a lot and, you know, and obviously things are very changed at the moment with COVID, but you know yourself, I mean, you can be in here in Trinity and you can go to your lectures, but you can go to something else in the evening. There's constantly kind of, you know, interesting things happening. People come from so many different perspectives. So yeah, so I suppose in one sense, I'm very, I was very, I was very born to it. And, you know, I I am the kind of person who is uh, left to my own devices kind of happy. And I think, there's, I think there's an awful lot of like, the world of academia is a world of rejection. And to a certain extent, you need a certain kind of resilience to be able to not, not, not get too upset about things. So you're constantly being rejected, you're being rejected, your paper isn't accepted, your ideas aren't good enough or something isn't funded or you're, you know, you're not getting promoted or you're not. So it's, it's kind of that kind of a, like if you think of it, it's a, it's, it's a world of you, where you're supposed to be constructively critical about what's wrong with something. You know and you're sitting in the middle of it and 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 most of the time that's what you're doing so even when i was running these centers you know you have these international reviews every year, every few years and those international reviews are to pick you apart and say what's not working and stuff and you have to have kind of temperament i think ultimately where you don't get over upset by that and you kind of use it to say okay what can i do better now that doesn't always that doesn't mean there aren't days and you know, this is probably you might be sick of, of hearing about things like this, but, you know, people talk about the imposter syndrome all the time in this world, you know, and you there, it, I think it's also a world. I mean, people feel this in every walk of life. But I think academia is very often a world where you constantly feel like you're an imposter. Like, how did I get here? How did I ever get to this point? I fooled everyone. I mean, I do actually think, oh my God, I fooled everyone into voting for me for the election every now and then as well, what am I doing on some days? And then other days you think, oh, I've got this, I can do this. So, you know, it just goes like that. Um, and I think you have to be able to take that um, and, you know, uh, you know take, a, take the criticism of which there is plenty.
1: That is fascinating to hear. You were talking about the, the the great positives and the the things you were loving about academia, and then I mentioned that you were purpose built for it, and you just you just d- described everything that is not bad in academia, but everything that could potentially bring you down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but how you how you were resilient to it, and how you have to be resilient to it. I'm wondering, as provost now, is there anything that you are that you miss? about your role before you were provost? Is there anything that you want to go back to or that you are excited to get back to one day?
2: Um, at the moment, no, because this is just so busy. I don't have a moment to, to think. I mean, there are, um, I think the, the thing about, so I think it's a real privilege to be provost. Um, and, I, I, and I do think, I suppose the difference between this life and the life before it is the complete scrutiny and everything you do or don't do is, is kind of politically interpreted and applied, implied. And I am a person who kind of wants to Put things on the table even before decisions are made, and and discuss them. And no sooner as you mention a topic, it's implied you're you mean one thing, are you going to do another thing? Or so so I find that that you know sometimes you're kind of thinking, all oh, right, you, if you go back to a, a place where you're not overly scrutinized. But on the other hand, I think um, I think that's a very small price to pay for what is an amazing job to you know to 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 be doing, and um, to be honest. Um, There's just so much variation I I love kind of variation and one of the things I've always felt about academia is that like no two years are the same you could be teaching the same course you could be you know still following up in a particular area of research, you could be um, running the same group, but there's never it never stands still there's constant variation and difference. And I find that in this job so far as well like every hour is different you go from talking about huge big things to tiny things, you know, to things that are strategic the things that are functional, uh, you know, to finance things to whatever to talking about individual problems to collective problems so it, it it's just such a stimulating job. Um, that at the moment, I can't think of anything else I'd love to be doing better than this. But having said that, there are days like when you just think, oh, my God, um, you know, this is really challenging. And um, hopefully I'll be like, well, I think hopefully we, I, I and we will be able to work through it.
1: You sound very busy, run off your feet, but I'm glad that there's a yeah. there's a silver that you're enjoying it and that there's yeah. a silver lining to it
2: i mean i i think uh when you know in terms of uh, the role road, road well taken i think for me uh becoming provost as well i i was i was the dean of research for a few years here before that and that was a great taste of what what's to come because when you're actually in one of these roles so so i, I don't know whether um i don't know whether you or your, your your audience knows but we have an unusual setup in trinity in how things Become, come to be, so obviously the provost gets elected and it's kind of like you appoint a cabinet, so you select people for different roles like vice provost and you nominate those, you, they're nominated to the board and the board um, then agrees them. But it's a very unusual situation in other universities, those roles are kind of jobs that people apply for. So it's it's quite a different, uh, So our statutes and things, you know, guide how we do this. So again, that makes it even more privileged that you kind of have the opportunity to ask people uh, from throughout the university to kind of join that team. Um, and so that you know, so so I was I was when I was dean of research, I was kind of one of those people on on on, on that team, and it gave you a really really good view of. So I I, I knew a lot about Trinity for um, many years anyway because I've been here for such a long time, but just every time you think you know enough about it, there's layers and layers more. So I learned a huge amount more uh, as Dean of Research, but it really gave you that kind of overall view as well. And it was just really, really compelling. And that's made me want to go further. And then obviously you 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 learn more uh, as provost, I have gone back to being a tutor, so that is one thing I have now. I have a small tutor chamber, but I I decided it would be a good idea to go back to being a tutor while I was provost because I think it's very easy to um, lose the kind of connection with uh, the reality. Oh, with, with we're we're here, we're here for the students, so I'm glad I've done that. Uh, even though I, I, have a, I have a smaller chamber, but nonetheless, it's interesting uh, to do that as well. So that was one thing I I did miss, but I have gone back to it. So.
1: That is so. Sorry, I don't know what that sound was. Uh, oh my god! It's I'm okay. very sorry about that. My laptop just had some sort of fit. Um, what I was going to say is, uh, I'm sure there are many students envious out there to have uh, you as their tutor. Many, I'm sure, your tutees feel very lucky. Um, so we hope so. There could might be some we don't. <laughs> <laughs> Um maybe i don't I'm not sure i th- I would be envious to have a the provost as my tutor. That would be definitely something to write home about. Um, you mentioned that you there's a lot of decisions to be made as provost, and from picking your your cabinet uh if you will, to any any decision that you make on a daily basis, that is something that we can all translate to from undergraduates picking their if it's a moderatorship that they want to specialize in or even people who have graduated do they want to do research or a PhD a master's or move into industry did everyone has different passions and they might want multiple things Mm. so do you have any advice on picking between passions
2: it's I think it's hard right so I, I I suppose I have two different bunches of things to say sorry there's just a clock dinging here can you guys hear it (laughs) it'll stop it'll stop yeah I think it's just stopped now um uh, so I I kind of think sometimes people get very worried that they'll pick the wrong thing and to be honest I think it's kind of hard to pick the wrong thing in the general scheme of things because first of all I think you know that thing about the jobs of the future don't even exist now and who knows what's going to be useful um secondly i really think that you know all of the like if you look at things like climate change if you look at it you know all of the big issues even the pandemic um you can see that we're only making progress on them if indeed we are through this kind of multiple uh perspective of different disciplines so so to me there's kind of there's not as much fear of I've picked the wrong thing and I will be, uh, you know, locked out now as there might have been when things were much more linear in the past. Like you did this and you became that. I think it's much more open now. So I would say first of all, um, you know, don't be you know don't be over anxious that you'll get it wrong. And um, the second thing I'll say, and th- this is a bit, and it, it 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 doesn't necessarily work maybe at undergraduate level, but there were times and I didn't pick between my passions and I'm glad I didn't and i remember a very good friend of mine i remember earlier on in my career where i was going for promotion for something and you you know there's there's different stages of promotion in trinity and there's different processes and i remember him saying to me you're interested in too much you need to you know narrow down what you're interested in and he's a really good friend of mine who i absolutely adore but i remember being really annoyed he said that to me and i didn't want to have to give into that and partly he wasn't wrong in one way you know in academia it's very important to be known for something and if you spread yourself too thin, you might be known for nothing, you know what I mean. But but one of the things that has really helped me, certainly, um, the fact that I was able to work with people from the STEM side and from the art side really helped form me into who I, I, I was and really changed my vocabulary, made me much more sensitive to a wider range of disciplines. So for my pathway you know having a better sense of what the three faculties in trinity bring and the difference and the similarities between disciplines has turned out to be a very powerful thing for me so not choosing between passions at a certain stage of my life actually worked out well as well but you know i i realize obviously as an undergraduate you can only do so many modules and things and you you have to pick something at some stage so don't be afraid when you have to it will it'll work out in the end and when you have an opportunity to keep multiple going if it's possible later on then just give it a go, a go as well is, is is my mix of advice
0: yeah it's, it's very interesting and I think you know clearly your love of kind of engineering and that kind of realm and um, academics like seeing it kind of combine it makes a lot of sense whereas I think a lot of students looking from you know from one perspective and maybe looking at something like teaching or academics and whatever kind of career sector it's hard sometimes to kind of see that you can combine them so I think it is a really good you know to keep in mind that you don't always have to choose that you can kind of go out and experience and try things before it kind of clicks I think that's you know very interesting.
2: I mean, I do, I, I, I do think today, when I look at, um, I think you're right, Chloe, but when I, when I, I do think today, if you want to, you know, if you want to get into academia, it it, there there is it is harder so when I you know sometimes I used to be on a lot of interview panels and um I often say when I'm an interview panel God thanks be to God I have a job now already because um you know I think there's more and more demanded so when you come out of having done a PhD and maybe done a postdoc after that you know you're expected to be internationally known you're expected to be articulate you're expected to be able to do the public engagement and outreach you're expected to have teaching you're expected have it all and and there's a lot of pressure putting people I think so I I did start I think in you know at at a slightly easier time um of getting into it but I think a lot of um but but I also think um you you know I, I think if you I think One of the things I mean I I knew I wanted to be in academia and I managed to get back to it. But I would also say sometimes if you don't manage to get where you want, it doesn't mean you can't find something really, really interesting in that as well. You know, so so like I've worked with different industry uh, partners over the years through the research I've done. And you can really see yourself how the culture in different companies is just so different. And if you go to one and it's not for you, doesn't mean you won't find something somewhere else and that there's kind of different ways of doing things. And I think not being afraid to explore that. I mean, there's a point where you can't just shift every few months, but there's a po- you know, but there's a point, I think, where you have time in your life to say, look, I'm going to try a few different things and see which one works out for me.
3: Yeah, speaking of trying something that's incredibly daunting, you obviously um, initially went into a field that I imagine was mainly dominated by men. And it seems that that is kind of carried throughout your career in terms of you now being the first female yeah. provost, which has a huge gravity behind it. I was wondering if, if there's some link between your experiences in engineering as a woman and now as the first female provost that you think Yeah, you've carried with you some lessons that you've learned or something.
2: I suppose the I suppose the major lesson for me was I didn't think that that wasn't that I wouldn't be, you know, entitled to be involved in that field. So when funnily enough, when I went into engineering, so I, you know, my parents had to leave school early and and actually I didn't really know what engineering was. So I went to an open day and. You know, I knew I was interested in sciencey stuff, and next minute somebody stood up and started talking about electrical and electronic engineering, and I was going, "Whatever that thing is, that's what I'd like to do." And I remember my mum saying to me, "What is it you're doing again?" You know, for like for 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 ages. Um, so, so, I didn't really think about it one way or the other. And you are right that it was always uh, and and some of the topics I did a masters and PhD. And so in engineering and computer science, you know, there's different, obviously, different fields, and some are a bit more mixed. But I happened to the antenna thing and the radio wave propagation thing. I remember, like, you know, probably the first conference I went to, there was like, you know, 499 men and one woman. You know, was that level of of difference? But the thing about engineering, actually. Um, While sometimes it can be off-putting when people look in from the outside, when you're in it, people don't kind of really care. They're focused on, we'll say, the solution or the idea. So I got very used to being in a field where you persuaded people of something because of the idea or of your arguments or what you were saying rather than whether you were male or female or whatever you just you you know I I got used to that and I think that's one of the good things actually about some areas of academia it is about the idea or the solution or the concept that you know you're you're getting things across so I suppose the lessons I learned from it was um you know to just continue do what you want to do and don't think it's not for you because of your gender um I suppose I I did you know, I, I think a lot of people um are discriminated against in various different circumstances, uh, but I was lucky to work with people who just got on with the work and 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 that was that was really really helpful, and I, I you know one of the things um it was. I didn't think about it so when I was running for provost I wasn't running because I wanted to be the first woman provost I was running because I I I, this is something I just really thought I wanted to give it a go and do and one of the good things that happened I thought actually you might remember there were for people who don't know there were the field had only women in it um and in fact actually that was both empowering and helpful so it it it, in one sense it put women in you know in the middle and the other sense it took it out of the equation because people weren't asking you through the election you know if there were men and women are you going to be the first woman versus the man who's over there so it was both it was kind of helpful but but ultimately it was that whole thing where you know like in one sense my parents because they hadn't been to college had no preconceived notions that I should do this or shouldn't do that they were brilliant and supportive and then once you have no preconceived notions and you just go on and do it you don't start to think is this right for me or or is this wrong for me I would say though that if I were to say have I noticed it's only since I've become provost so in one sense you kind of break the glass ceiling and in the other sense you kind of see parts of society that you didn't even know existed that you think, hmm, there's a network of people I'm excluded from over there that I hadn't actually even noticed before. So there's kind of weird things that actually go on as well as you kind of move up.
1: Sorry, I couldn't get my microphone unmuted. That sounds, um, it sounds actually really, challenging and interesting because I'm sure there were some people who were against your election. Uh of course there are people who are always against elections, um, yeah. who might have said that I don't even know where my train of thought has gone.
2: Well there's always people the, the, just to, to, to help you out about that. So I mean um there so so when you get elected to a position there will always be people who think that's a good idea and there's always think It's not good, and that's what an election is. And you know, people have different ideas and different views. I mean, I think people in Trinity, in the main, you know, once you get elected, are very supportive. And people, you know, the way it also works, uh, you probably know this, but the way it works in an election as well, you have people who volunteer to help on your campaign, and so there'll be different people helping in different places. But I, you know, and, and and there will always be people like everything I do now. Um, especially with COVID, there's half the people who think it's a good idea and half the people think it's a terrible idea. So you're always going to be negotiating that. But in the main, I think um, in a university, um, I think we have lots of ideas. We have lots of, all of us students and staff, you know, if you pick a topic, there'd probably be People who think who disagree there'll be all sorts of disagreements but ultimately as well uh, i have found that you know um whether people agree or disagree that people have been very kind of happy and respectful and uh encouraging since i got elected so yeah of course people will disagree and not not, not, not have one you know head would have preferred someone else but that's you know you have to accept that
1: that's good i'm glad you didn't have a rough time after the, the election no, thank no, you for no, pulling keep... me out of the question yeah. my brain just froze after I couldn't unmute myself
2: <laughs> that's um, okay
1: if I could just before we open the Q&A to our participants here just one final question um that I'm sure now I'm as an undergraduate all I can think is undergrad because no, it's no. what I have experience with I'm wondering uh just before we open the Q&A if you could shine a light on if you had at one big t- if you have well oh my god if you had one tough challenge in your undergraduate what would it have been and how did that work out
2: oh i i don't think i have anything hugely exciting to say i mean i certainly you know um I suppose I went from a situation, you know, when you're in school and you kind of know where you are in the class and you know where you fit and where you don't. And you go into college and you feel completely lost for ages. I certainly took a good length of time to wait to find myself, you know, and I I mean, I wouldn't have been good like you guys are uh, in kind of. So I used to go to things when I was an undergraduate, but I, I wasn't like I kind of found my ability to kind of lead and be more proactive later. So I would say that I was quite a kind of. Um, passive undergraduate is the best way to describe it. And you know, I, I, I didn't really ask loads of questions and I didn't, you know, um and, and you could say how did I overcome it? The answer probably is I didn't, you know, I, I mean I am um, engineering um for a lot of people it's kind of you're nine to five and you kind of it's to a certain extent it's kind of like school in terms of the num- numbers you know you go to classes and then you'd have labs or whatever and um, so to a certain extent I definitely found myself more after undergraduate than I did during undergraduate without a doubt and um, so it wasn't that I was miserable or that I kind of resented that or anything like that but certainly um, it took me a longer a, a little bit longer to kind of get beyond the undergraduate and when I look at the kind of the stuff you guys do and when I look at the um you know uh, people in the students union and I look at the student newspapers and I look at all the clubs and all, all the societies and I just look at all these people who so much get up and go or the you know the people who y- y- go and do exciting things during the summer or go to different countries I I actually wasn't like that I took I took it I took it I took longer to to find that for me without a doubt and it was certainly uh, it's certainly when I came to Trinity and was a postgrad that it, uh, I was I was more myself and I found myself more and more. And for some people, they find themselves earlier like that, and some people it takes a bit longer. But to me, it took definitely a bit longer. Some people might think I still haven't found myself properly, and it taking longer still. But but we won't we won't leave that as a question. But anyway, yeah,
1: that's very relatable, I'm sure, actually, <laughs> to a lot of people. We all feel passive and. It's yeah. like we're gliding yeah. by but it's, it's good to hear
2: yeah but i would encourage people like i mean even though i wasn't I, I wasn't as proactive as I, I i could be myself that's why i always think it's great when 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 you guys are doing what you're doing you know and, and and standing up and being counted and i would encourage you to do that as much as you possibly can in every way even if you're disagreeing with me or whatever it is
1: exactly <laughs> i won't disagree with you now though <laughs>
2: Um, I don't know whether anyone has anything they want to ask, so they may not be.
3: <laughs> yeah, that was so interesting. Thank you so much for answering those. So those are the questions we kind of thought of, but if any of the other attendees would like to pop questions into the Q&A, please, we can read those out and Provost Linda Doyle will help us answer them now.
2: Or if they, they may not have any questions, which I, I hope yeah, I hope they're all not falling asleep or something. <laughs> oh no oh,
3: yeah.
2: oh there's one there
3: okay so this is the first and I'll just read it out for those um streaming through Facebook so what are you most proud of reflect reflecting over your career thus far
2: so from a career point of view I'm completely most proud of becoming provost I have to say it's just um I mean I'm still I'm only a few months in and I still like I I kind of you know sometimes you're kind of uh, you know when somebody says provost looking around or whatever I'm still still surprised um You know um yeah so i think that 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 is i can't i can't yeah that to me without a doubt is is the thing i'm most proud of Mm. fabulous
3: and then here's one from katie so she's asking what has been the most surprising thing about your change from your previous jobs to your job now as provost um
2: I suppose I had some sense of what the role was like from being in the dean of research role and kind of understanding it but um what is it like there's like there isn't a day goes by when that something is surprising happens so i mean I suppose the breadth and depth and complexity of everything. I'm, you know, there's there's never a day that you just go, oh my god, I knew about that, but I didn't realize it was that big and it was that complex and there are that many issues. And I suppose the other surprising thing that I mentioned earlier is that kind of scrutiny. That, like, I mean, if you think about it, you know that that's what exists. But it's it's very, you know, it's when you're in it. I suppose that's not necessarily surprising. Good, but <laughs> it's you know it's a real change that 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 you're kind of under. Um, you're you're kind of un, un, under the uh, i suppose yeah you're 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 un, under the microscope much much more than you you ever expected to be
3: yeah under the magnifying glass for sure yeah you you're like our politician <laughs> <laughs> um okay so here's one from mark what do you look forward to in your first year as provost and what are some of your goals for trinity
2: so mark i i, I mean there's there's a million things I want to do and I have to say at the moment um one of the big challenges is actually just COVID stuff and I find at the moment actually if I were to say you know what are the things I'd like to do um some of the the COVID stuff is really it's all encompassing and stuff you know not stopping but but it's taking up a huge amount your, amount of your time um I mean there's there's a there's a ton of things I want to do uh I mean I spoke a lot like, so So for me, Trinity does a lot. There's an awful lot of talent here. There's talented people like yourselves and there's talented staff. And a lot of what I'm interested in is how do we take away all the barriers that stop that coming to its full fruition? And that sounds a bit motherhood and apple pie. But let me give you a very concrete example. I I do think, for example, the student experience, Um, needs a lot of attention. I think, you know, uh, your engagement with the system from before you start to after you leave has a lot to be desired. And I think that matters not because I just care about systems and want them to be smooth, but because it actually impacts on how you experience Trinity and, uh, you know, how fulfilled you are and whether you're able to make the choices that you want to make and do the modules that you want. And, you know, whether or not people are responding to you in the way that you need to be responded to. So that kind of stuff really motivates me as well as how to make that student journey you know a, a much more um painless a much more seamless uh and a much more um simple one for you so you can kind of be all you want to be so there's a lot of stuff like that that i'm interested in as well i have a huge interest in how trinity becomes much bolder in terms of biodiversity and climate action and we have a new vice president for um uh, biodiversity and climate action yvonne buckley so she's going to be starting full in in january so i'm really looking forward to kind of working on some kind of goals with her she hasn't started yet so it'll uh, fully so it'll be great to, to kind of sit down and kind of tease things out um and then there's kind of you know there, there there's kind of both small and large projects but there are a couple of goals anyway
3: That's amazing. And it's really reassuring to know that Trinity's future is very forward looking, especially in terms of climate action. I know we can all resonate with that goal as a student Mm -hmm. body to know that the people leading us also are on board is really reassuring. Um, There's one last question here and I think it's a great way to conclude this installment and the idea, it summarizes the idea of the road well taken and our purpose really well overall. So what is one piece of advice that you wish you could give to your college student self
2: I was reading I don't know whether you guys know um Owen McNamee he's a, a lecturer in English here and he's a writer and uh he he I, I was reading some interview he did recently he's a fantastic person but he was saying something like and I think this too he said he was asked some question like that and he said I, it doesn't matter because I wouldn't listen to it And I think that is the whole thing about when you're a particular age you think that the other people that age you know are something you just don't you don't heed it but um I suppose um this sounds very I, I think to me um you know it's all about not being afraid to be yourself whoever that is you know it, it, uh, you know um and I as I said to you earlier it takes a while sometimes for you to find what you're, what you're what what that is um and you know you know the way you you want to fit in and you want to you want to be like other people but not being afraid to be yourself I think you know, whether I'd have listened to it, I'd have gone or something, somebody said that to me, you know, when I was that age. So yeah.
0: Yeah, that's it's definitely interesting. And I think that definitely applies to all of us. I think it's very reassuring to know that there isn't a one size fit fits all for everyone. And yeah. just even hearing your journey, how yeah. you did, you know, you reflect, you changed, you kind of reassessed things and
2: tried again. I think it's yeah. definitely it's a very interesting story. But Chloe, that bit about not one size fits all. I remember when I was teaching first, there was one one of the classes I was teaching. There was a person in there who, in the class who um, probably was a bit autistic in some way. And he found it very hard to kind of interact. You know, and sometimes if you if you saw him, he would turn his face to the wall if you were going by and said hi or something like that to him. And I remember coming into class one day and he was just kind of happily sitting there with other people around him just being him himself in his way and the other people not ignoring him but just come companionly sitting side by side and I remember thinking that's one of the great things about academia when it goes right I'm not saying we do, there's not things we do wrong or that we're not terrible or we do, but like there's kind of space for everyone and that is the great thing when, when you're, you're working in, in a place that's about ideas and about approaches, there's kind of space for all of those different ideas and approaches. That's how I can ultimately, ultimately feel about it when it's at its, when it's at its best, that's what it does, you know, and we need to do much more of, of of that, like making space for all of that kind of diversity and, and, and and diverse ways of looking at things.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, it definitely has a, that positive side of academia and even you know our experience of academia is obviously being on the other side of the lecture hall I suppose and listening and our experience but I think we've all kind of seen that we all kind of come in at our undergrad firstly trying to fit in and then kind of figuring out who we are and trying to be yeah. ourselves whatever that may look like so um, I think yeah
2: Yeah, and I I think, I think also as well, I mean, being at the other side of it, I remember, I remember some time ago, there was somebody coming into a class to announce something. So I sat at the back of the class while they were doing it. And, you know, it was a big class. And I I remember thinking, God, they must think you're just such a distant, irrelevant person up there. You know, and I I do, I do, I don't think it's, you know, I, I don't think it's easy um, you know, like sometimes getting into your topic and relating to it, and you know, it does seem like something over there, like on a Zoom thing or whatever. So I, I think all of that is kind of the natural part, of kind of um, when you know the natural part of when they're of being in education. I just see there's another question, an interesting question there about decisions and time when there's student protests inside college, new policies to make, etc. Uh, about helping make decisions, so. Will I answer that? Do we have time? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think that's a really, really good question. So so there's kind of, so first of all, I go back to, I think you make the best decisions when they're informed by diverse voices. So I always try to have the decisions informed by diverse voices and from multiple perspectives. Um, And that can really, really help. Um, But I also try to separate, this is hard to do, I tried to separate whether I think we're doing the right thing from how people are reporting it in media, or um, and, and not even in media. Like I mean, my God, and Trinity, uh, you know, anything you do or say, you suddenly hear like it's like Chinese whispers or whatever. It's translated into something totally different, um, really, really quickly and easily. And um, so I try to, I try to, and I don't always succeed in separating you know, what the reality of the decision is from how people are talking about it and expressing it and, you know, um, potentially saying how it is or how it isn't. And there are times when I'm kind of sure that we're doing the right thing. And then, you know, not in a kind of, oh God, I know best, but just think this is actually the right thing. um, And I feel on much solider ground then, and you're able to kind of defend it and stand up for it. And then there's times when there isn't an obvious right decision. And it can be harder in the face of various different discussions, you know, or or, or there's times when you have to just make a call, there's like 50% this this way, 50% that way, and you just have to be able to defend it. But I think being well informed, making sure you hear diverse voices, that you're not in an echo chamber of your own ideas, uh, encouraging people to speak out when you're, you know, to say, okay, look, this is one thing that does happen very easily. People just start agreeing with you, and, and you know they, you know, encouraging people to kind of disagree with you. All of that kind of helps you uh, make decisions. And some of the decisions you get right, and some of them you don't, you know. And um, and it's funny sometimes things that you think won't be a big deal turn out to be a huge deal, and things that you think people will be really worried about are not. And you can kind of sometimes can't tell. So, um, but but those kind of approaches are the approaches I would use to try and make a decision.
0: Yeah, it's certainly it's all a learning curve. I think that's mm-hmm. the main message I'll take from this. That It is. You know, it is.
3: Yeah.
0: yeah. Even, and I mean, even like, when you end up in your big role yeah. as provost, it's
2: still a learning process, isn't it? <laughs> it is. But I think that's that's also what the appeal is. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, I, I think different people like different things. And, um, I've always liked kind of being pushed a bit out of my uh, comfort zone, and you know, and I do, you know, you do in, in a lot of the roles, you kind of go through days of thinking,, you have, as I said earlier, oh, I can do this," and then times of thinking God." And that, to me is always something that I, I I've been attracted to. I like that kind of mix. But again, there's different things for different people, and you know, it's about finding what 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 suits you and where 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 you want to go.
0: Yeah I think on that note we might start wrapping up. Um, I'll just see if Neve or Stephen want to add any kind of concluding remarks.
1: Uh, before I add a concluding remark I'd just like to thank uh, Marie Celine, Clegg in the comments. It's actually it's a fantastic summary note from one of our uh, not spectators one of our participants or our our viewers, a most interesting conversation highlighting the importance of having passion about one's role, coupled with realism about working within a system. Definitely, you seem quite passionate about your role and it's fantastic to see that it's not droning on with the role of provost. You seem to be really enjoying it and- And you can come back to me (laughs)
2: in a a, a few years and check if it's still the case, but certainly I think it would be a bad sign for all of you if I already didn't like it.
1: (laughs) That it would be a bad (laughs) sign. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But uh, we have reached, we've kept you, I think we've kept you a good while now at this stage. Um, So I would really like to thank you again uh, for coming to our talk, The Road Well Taken. I was shocked when we first thought uh, to have the provost here as part of our interview. We were thinking, no, definitely won't happen. But to have you here tonight, it's just amazing. And... uh, we really, we owe you a lot. So thank you very much for coming
2: well, on. I, I owe you a lot too. Uh, um, and thank you so much. Um, and, and you, know, you know, as I said, the, the, the best things, like every day something great happens like this, like meeting you and, and hearing the questions and stuff like that. And look, I look forward to further chats and thank you very much for your time. And um, hopefully I'll see you around here. <laughs> no? Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you so much. And thank you everyone for attending. Thank you.